The Restaurant at the End of the Universe. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the books by David Adams, and I, I do recommend that you read them if you like a good whimsical science fiction uh, series of novels. If you're looking for something spiritually deep in them, uh, give them a miss. Um, but The Restaurant at the End of the Universe in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series is a place where you could book to eat a romantic meal while watching the universe come to a cataclysmic end outside the panoramic windows of your restaurant. The patrons of the restaurant, which was known as Milliways, by the way, were saved from the cataclysm by the restaurant's time turbines, which set them apart from the destruction. And of course, for those before you look it up, time turbines are not a real thing. <laughs> But the thing is that we've discovered over the last few weeks that we too are set apart. We've discovered that we're worthy of God's attention, that God wants to communicate with us. Who, remember, who remembers a TV personality by the name of Dicko? He, he, he was very much an atheist and referred to Christians as God-botherers. And at the time I can remember feeling a little bit offended by this, um, but what we discover as, as we dig into the, the scriptures is that God designed us to bother him. He did not want to be separate from us. The idea that we are God botherers is actually a good thing. God has called us to communicate with him, to be in his life, to be in his face all our life. Because he's also got a plan for us and that he's prepared a place for us to be with him. Does anybody remember any of this stuff? Good, because I can preach it all again. We've got ours. And so we looked at the significance of this, this place that he had prepared and how it's transformed. Initially, it was the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve could walk with God in the garden. Then things went wrong and it shrank to this little tent in the middle of a, of a compound that only the chief priest could go into and only once a year. And then that changed to a temple, which was a little more open. And then, at the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven, we got the Holy Spirit so that we can actually carry the presence of God. We can carry that place with us wherever we go. And so it's, it's evolved over time. And so far in all of this, we've prioritized the community aspect of our relationship with our Father. And how many of the passages, you remember that we talked about the fact that you should be translated as yous or you are, if you're, if you're North American. And then it actually is more realistically a group directive to people rather than uh, often what we take as an individual instruction. And so we've learned that the uh, things about other people that used to confuse us uh, or annoy us now become points of compassion and understanding. The things that can use... Yes, <laughs> compassion, understanding, as we... Um, as we actually understand the community aspect of our relationship with God. But there is a personal aspect to this as well, and I don't think we should forget it, because we cannot be a community of Jesus followers unless we make that decision to be a follower of Jesus as an individual. There has to be a point of personal revelation and commitment that sets us apart from those who do not follow Jesus. The Greek term for the church is ecclesia, which actually means the set-apart ones. 
And so we are called to be set apart, not so much as an organisation, because I think the church as an organisation needs to be in the community. But as individuals, we need to recognise that our acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour has set us apart. Let's look at this description of the place that God has prepared for us in Psalm 23. And in verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, and surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now let me ask you a question. Whose table is it? Did you bring the table? It's the Lord's table. Whose anointing comes? Yes, a hint, yeah, God's, good. Whose goodness and love is there? Right? Whose house? Hang on. Oh, yes, I will dwell in the house of? I'm forgetting my scriptures already. So we can see that this, this is a picture of the offer God has made to his creation, us. We don't own anything in there. It's, it's what God brings. And so who can come? to this table that God has prepared? Anyone, right. But who does God anoint? Who does he dwell with? Is it just anyone? And I think the the answer is in the last line. It's the house of the Lord. So it's the house of the God that people call Lord. Who calls God Lord? His followers. And so, he anoints people who have accepted him as their Lord. And for us, that's accepting Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And we know this from Romans 10, verse 9, which says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Now, just a side note here, that the Psalm 23 tells us that God's people are anointed for a task. And it's interesting that the, the idea of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever evokes the sense of lounging around God's house doing squat. And so I, I just want to clear something up here, because it's, it's got that wonderful um, sort of lazy feel to it that we can, we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever and there's a little bell which we bring and the servants come with the daiquiris and, the, and let me ask you a question who dwells in a house are you in that house all the time do you go shopping to work you leave the house don't you when you go back to the house is it still your house is it still your dwelling but you're not in there all the time. And that we've got to remember that it's the same thing with the house of God. We don't come to church on Sundays to, to gather together to worship God and have a desire to stay here all the time. Because the idea of get coming together 
and worshipping God and to hear his word is to actually strengthen us and encourage us to go out into the world and, and, do, and perform the tasks that he has put before us. It's, it's, a, it's a place of rejuvenation, recuperation, strengthening, in, in, inspiration, encouragement so that we can actually do what God has called us to do. That's what dwelling in the house of the Lord forever means. It means that we've forever got the, the resources to do what God has anointed us to do. So any thoughts that you've had of being lazy and lounging around? That's not what the, uh, not what the psalm is saying. We have a permanent residence, but we're not there all the time. And so how, how, do, we, how do we approach this, this table idea today? Well, the greatest table we read about in the New Testament is the table at the Last Supper, what we call communion. And so we come to the table through this act and through this idea of communion. And although anyone can come to the table of communion, the Bible actually warns us to get our hearts right before we take communion. 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honouring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. And so we're going to take communion in a moment, so this is important. And I heard, I heard a preacher speaking on this. I'm going to paraphrase some of what he said because I thought it was very apt for this situation. And we're going to pray. So rather than sort of bowing your heads and closing your eyes, I actually want you to look at me. Because I'm going to ask you to think about what I'm about to say. Because there are people in this room who think they're saved because they prayed a prayer. The Bible doesn't say God so loved the world that he sent a prayer. There are people in this room who think they're walking with Jesus because they attend church. The Bible doesn't say for God so loved the world that he sent church attendance. There are people in this room who think they're righteous because they're baptized. The Bible doesn't say that God so loved the world that he sent a baptismal tank. The scripture says he sent his son and that as many as received him, the person to themselves, he gave them the right to become the children of God. You have to walk with the person of the Lord Jesus. Because listen carefully, the gospel says to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's, that's the Christian faith. First love is the only love he receives. God will not share you with anyone else. So, can I get George just to come up? If you want Jesus today for the first time, or you want to burn with that first love for Jesus because you know that that fire has gone out. I want you to be bold and pray a prayer with me this morning. The prayer won't save you, but acting on your promise will. And so before we take communion, I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer. Can we all stand, please? And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Mighty God, we thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross for our sins. We believe he rose again 
and sits at your right hand as our Lord and Saviour. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. I repent of my sins. Walk with me as I take up my cross and follow you. Amen. Now we're going to take communion. If you still feel right here and now that you, you don't want to take communion, then that's fine. You don't have to. But hopefully we've been encouraged to actually get our hearts right and to recognize the importance of it.